Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast, where the only question is, does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Welcome back, gents. Hello, mate. Hi, Rob. I kept it short this week, so there wasn't that long pause when you were unsure if I was going to do anything more creative, more bizarre. But welcome back, everybody, to what the week six recap show. And before we go too much further, um, we should probably declare that our weekend experience and therefore um, exposure, is that the word, to NFL football is very different across the three of us, namely because I spent the weekend... um, with my daughters at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium watching football. And you guys, because you didn't have my uh, slight uh, childcare issues, were able to spend the weekend celebrating... A wedding! At a wedding. Oh. I'm assuming that's what we were going for. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say congratulations to Mm. Nick, Club Dub Football Podcast superfan. We've got two Mm. superfans both called Nick. This is in no way confusing. It doesn't make us sound desperate. That's why we have to clarify both of them. So obviously we have Club Dub Football Podcast Superfan and JB Megafan, Aldrin's Dad Nick, and Club Dub Podcast Superfan and Quietest Man in the World. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. Don't look at it. Just trust me on it. Nick, JB's cousin. I think we need to stop giving Nick brackets Aldrin's Dad quite so much airplay <laughs> because I get a lot of... I get a lot of grief that JB is fast becoming his favourite son. So, yeah, we need to stop him. That's (laughs) fine. At least out of the the two of us, one of our dads likes me. Well, look at me on the outside looking in. Um, Right. So if I didn't feel like I'd missed out enough, um, here we go. So, yeah. So more limited exposure for you guys and all things NFL. However, um, enough certainly for us to give a pretty decent recap, all things considered. Um, Before we get into, firstly, me recapping all the scores, then um, no Google all noodle, the toughest quiz question in podcasting. Um, Overarching thoughts from week six. Is there any particular headline takeaway that you gents want to share? Aldrin, coming to you first. Well, mine... As much as I've caught up on some of the games and some very exciting highlights, I think the thing that stood out to me this week especially, and also I guess there was a little bit of news just ahead of the week, um, but was injuries. And I think most notably for me is injuries at the most important position in football, the quarterback position. Um, And the reason I mentioned just before the week started, because I think on Friday we got the news that Anthony Richardson may well be shut down for the rest of the season and is having, I think we're on to four or five separate medical opinions on what to do with his shoulder. And the consensus seems to be some sort of surgery to kind of correct it. And long-term health-wise, it will be the best outcome. So that was kind of the news early doors. So that's already, you know, one quarterback down, uh, one starting quarterback down from the league, I guess. And then, uh, across the week, we had a few, didn't we? We had Justin Fields with, I think, is it dislocated thumb or a dislocated finger in his yeah. throwing hands? So um, that's never good. And then you also had Jimmy Garoppolo exit the game. You had Ryan Tannehill exit the game. 
I think even you had Trevor Lawrence left the game for periods. So, you know, there was a lot across the league. And I think it's fast becoming ever more important to have a significantly capable backup. And, you know, we're not even talking about the Browns have had Deshaun Watson out for a few weeks, albeit they won in last in the weekend's game. So I think for me, that's the real story at the minute is the kind of, I say, epidemic across the league. But certainly this week, it, it stood out a lot more that we lost two or three starting quarterbacks. And with a couple already out, it's fast mounting up. You know, when there's 36 teams and six or seven starting quarterbacks are out, that's a significant knock on the most significant position in the game. So... It really stood out to me, and I think, obviously, Rob, you probably saw more firsthand the capability or incapability of a certain Malik Willis, the backup in Tennessee, and whether or yeah. not that will be the precursor to us all seeing Will Levis. I think, if I remember back to the start of the season, didn't I predict week seven would be the time he would start? Yeah, so I might not be sure. all that far wrong. Um, well, look- there's a lot of weird things. I mean, specifically with Tennessee, it's odd that Levis isn't already the backup, in a way. Yeah, I, I and I, I, I know, I know that that's probably you know, if if you want somebody to come in, you want them to come in, you know, prep for success. But it, it felt odd to me that Willis was. But the other thing I think it shows when it either happens late or in games, is how important reps are. And and obviously one of the things the NFL do right from OTAs right the way through is they control the amount of time that teams can spend on a practice field very, very closely. You know, if you've got uh, a new head coach, you get slightly more time preseason and so on, but it's very, very closely monitored. And one of the things that's pretty obvious is there are a lot of plays um, that backup quarterbacks just simply don't understand, aren't prepped for. They mm-hmm. haven't had... Yeah those snaps in practice as they've worked through the game plan. So the weird thing is with a bit of time, I think it's amazing how quickly a lot of these backups can get up to speed, but yeah, thrown in, in unexpected circumstances, how rare is it that these quarterbacks really do shine? I mean, I'm thinking Herbert, his first start was probably one of those Brock Purdy. We've talked about week after week and how amazing what he did as, as really the third string in a way, I suppose in, in San Francisco, but um. But yeah, the backup quarterback thing is odd because on the one hand, Aldra and I agree, I think to be competitive, you need a good backup quarterback. But then do you? I mean, are you going to win a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback? I mean, Brock Purdy nearly. What, Kurt Warner? Probably the last one I can think of who who Eagles. absolutely did it. Um, oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe I wasn't Nick thinking Foles. about, about Nick Super Foles. Super Bowl MVP, yeah, no, backup I mean, quarterback. Crikey, as if Nick Foles is. I mean, congratulations, Nick. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, the, the point I suppose I'm making is for these teams, is it the end of the world or ultimately is it just a reality of modern football that without your starting quarterback, your chances of going, you know, certainly deep in the playoffs are, are maybe vastly diminished. But yeah, actually, Nick Foles was a good one. I'd, I'd overlooked the Eagles. But um, but yeah, certainly the product week in, week out is, you know, unbelievably different when you've not got a first string QB in. Um, I, I yeah, Malik Willis it. holding onto the ball, being sacked over and over in, in London was was really just such a disappointment after 
Tannehill had not really shone by any means, but the Titans were kind of back in it. Yeah, it did feel like it. It changes the quality of the product we watch. And therefore, you can understand why officials and the rules protect quarterbacks the way they do, I suppose. I suppose that's all yeah. just part of the same argument, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I do I do agree with you, obviously. Are you going to win a Super Bowl? Probably not. Although you can in, you know, fits and spurts and specific games. I think if you have yeah. to go any length of a season with a backup quarterback, that's the thing. You know, with, yeah. with the Eagles, they didn't go the whole regular season, did they? Pretty much went dominated the season and then Nick Foles came in for the playoffs and did very well but ultimately oh, very they, well. you know yeah. two three four games not 10 12 13 is is a real difference I think for you know teams to figure out the backup and watch the tape and stuff because you do get a little bit of a bump on occasion if the backup's mm. fairly decent where you've not seen tape you know I think yes if I think of what, yeah. you, what, you, what you call him the Lions he might even be on the Arizona squad now, but David Blau, David Bluff, whoever yeah. he was, do you remember yeah. his starting game where he came in? He was amazing because nobody had ever seen any tape yeah. of him. Nothing on knew tape. Knew what he could do, so there was nothing yeah. kind of geared up for him. And then the second game, he absolutely tanked, and then that was the end of him. But, you know, sometimes you do get a bit of a bump when you've not got any tape on these players or know how they work. But I think, yeah, I think it was interesting I watched the Bears backup quarterback oh. was some random rookie that looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, it's bad enough for Justin Fields behind that line, let alone somebody that's got no reps, like you say, doesn't know the yeah. game script, hasn't got Fields' mobility, and it's like, oh, this is going to be a long day for him, and it was. Yeah. Um, I don't, it, it's just one of those things that I think injuries are mounting up, and some of them, you know, are not particularly... Um, you know, necessarily really heavy hits or you know, most of it, I think pretty much all of them are, have been clean. You know, there's not mm -hmm. been any like somebody's absolutely skewered someone or they've got smashed yeah. between players. You know, most of them are relatively, at the minute, innocuous. You know, I think of Anthony Richardson as a Colts fan and I think the three injuries that I've seen him get this year, obviously the shoulder being the most significant, yeah. But were fairly normal, ordinary football plays. You know, when he got concussion, it was uh, he jumped into the end zone, Dog somebody knocked him, yeah. and he just banged his head. Um, and the shoulder injury wasn't like the, the defensive player really ragged him down and threw him around. He just kind of got sandwiched between two players and landed on, and that was that. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, like you say, as much as the rules do protect quarterbacks, and obviously ever more so than ever, because some of the calls we've seen this season have been a bit, you know, I think we saw one in London where there was a roughing the passer call that none of us really thought was no. that significant. And it was purely because he made, you know, Alan made contact with the helmet of Alan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of these injuries have been relatively in innocuous. So it is, I guess it's a, it's a worry for teams because yeah, you know, I, I've I'd almost even forgotten to talk about Aaron Rodgers in this discussion. But you know, yeah. we've already lost. You know, one of the game's premier QBs. I think we're, we're probably what, in we're in week six, going into yeah. week seven, and you've probably got teams with question marks or having lost their starting quarterback in probably seven. Yeah, I mean, Kyler teams, Murray has know. been out for nearly a full calendar. Yeah, year exactly. Now. I mean, you a few know, you away from that. So there's a lot yeah. of starters out. So I mean, it is interesting as to yeah. how teams compensate for it. But that was my big takeaway this year, this, yeah. this week. Sorry. 
No, absolutely. It's a cracking one. And, and JB, yours? I think my real takeaway is just that it's it's week six and we still know absolutely nothing about anything related to the season. We don't know who's good. We don't know who's bad from a player point of view, from a team point of view. And I think like some of what Aldrin said there is really, really valid and plays into an awful lot of it. It's hard to judge teams when they are so inconsistent in who they can put on the field. Um, Raiders, uh, as a good example of that, how good or bad are the Raiders? How good or bad are the Browns? The Browns have already started, what, three different quarterbacks already this season in yeah. Deshaun Watson, PJ Walker, and the, the uh, rookie uh, someone double-barreled whose name I cannot remember. People it's, come here for insight, JB. People yes. people come here for insight and JB <laughs> not remembering what people's names are. Let's be honest, we've been doing this for two years now. Um but it is hard to judge from that point of view. But at the same time, it's so strange when we watched this week, the last two undefeated teams both fall in games that on paper you had like absolute destruction victories written all over them. The Browns yeah. not having Deshaun Watson starting PJ Walker for the first time going up against the San Francisco 49ers team that have looked like you know, Robert Patrick in Terminator 2 in terms of how just ruthlessly efficient they are. And then the Eagles going in the Jets, who the Jets have had promise, and we'll talk about them maybe a little bit later, but you, you all the only team in green you were thinking were going to be celebrating were the Eagles. And at the end yeah. of it, every undefeated team's lost. Now the, the 72 Dolphins can pop the champagne and we're still back here with like, okay, so who is actually going to get to the playoffs? who is actually going to potentially lift the Lombardi. It's anyone's game. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because you're in that phase where it's still in any given Sunday type league, um, you know, and, and anybody can, can put together a performance. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson is the, uh, is it, just in case his parents are listening, it, it seems, it seems relevant for the Cleveland Browns, but yeah, as much as it's in any given Sunday league and you're right, you know, two shocking defeats in terms of the 49ers and the Eagles, there's also teams who look on the verge of maybe getting it right, who, if they're not careful, are going to find themselves too far behind. You know, you still have teams with only one or two wins on the board. You still have teams with only one or two defeats. And the gap between those teams, you know, maybe not, you know, across the league universally, as we've just described with a few shocking losses, but there are some gaps now. So you look at a team like the Raiders and you think, well, you know what, are they good, are they not? The Chargers, are they good, are they not? But one of the things they're going to have to do is kind of start to put it together soon or it's just going to be too late. And and that's why I think makes this, you know, as we head up to the trade deadline, it just makes the NFL so fascinating because the other thing is front offices are having these conversations because it's do we stretch, do we reach and try and trade for what could be that missing piece? You know, do we, I mean, the Buccaneers did it famously, didn't they? In the Brady, you know, they went out and got those pieces. We, we've seen teams stretch and reach and try and find, you know, those, those last puzzle pieces those last premier talents that can make a difference but you know if it doesn't work for you you very quickly become the shop window yourself and actually what talented players are going to move on in the hope that they might get somewhere i mean you look at the raiders as you've just mentioned you think well Devonte adams is he a raider after the trade deadline I, I don't know a lot probably depends on what happens in the next few days but um but yeah i'm with you i think it's a fascinating time of the season um i do expect the good teams to 
I mean, bounce back. I mean, I think there were, particularly with the 49ers, as I'll talk about in a bit, definitely circumstances that contributed. I mean, field goal kickers that can't kick feels like something we talk about every year. Why pay these guys tiny salaries? There's some good ones out there. If you're a premier team, go and get one. Um, but yeah, yeah. So with all of that, we've kind of done a nice little, um, I suppose, run around the various stories that set up the week. So with that, let me give you all in listener land the full recap in case you aren't entirely across every result from the week just gone. So in week six of the 2023 NFL season, it looked like this. Um, Thursday night football, I mean, somebody needs to do something about Thursday night football because those games are not setting scoreboards alight at the moment. It seems a long time ago that the Lions put up that great performance in week one. But anyway, the Kansas City Chiefs had far too much. Of course they did for the Denver Broncos, even without firing on all cylinders. 19 points was more than enough with Denver only putting up eight. Then you go to the London game I attended and we've just talked about where the Tennessee Titans rallied a little in the third quarter, but ultimately looked distinctly average and maybe should be concerned that they were beaten 24-16 by a hardly rolling Baltimore Ravens. The Miami Dolphins, crazy to think, were 14 points down in the first quarter and it looked like a shot could be on the cards. Miami, however, ended the game with their second stringers playing, something we've seen more than once this season. It ended up Miami 42 at Carolina 21. The Texans and the Saints is a pretty evenly matched contest this season, which is really a compliment to the turnaround in Houston. And it was the Texans who took this one by a score, 20 points to 13 over New Orleans. The Falcons have talked a lot about how Desmond Ridder had won all his games at home. Well, now they need a new storyline because the Washington Commanders blew that up with a relatively comfortable 24 to 16 point win. The Jacksonville Jaguars seem to be over their little shaky start. Two wins back to back in London, followed by a brilliant 37 points to 20 win over the Indianapolis Colts. Similarly, over a shaky start, maybe the Cincinnati Bengals. Only 17 points on the board, but enough to beat a very talented Seahawks team, 17 to 13. You've then got the Bears and the Vikings that we talked about. When Justin Fields left the game, it really did spell disaster with Jordan Hicks having a scoop and score as Minnesota were able to win 19 points to 13. One of the shocks of the week we've touched on so let's recap this quickly but a PJ Walker inspired Cleveland Browns team relied on a missed field goal at the end from the 49ers ranks to win 19 points to 17 and give San Fran their first defeat of the season. The Raiders against the Patriots well we talked about it a lot last week we said it didn't need to be a high scoring game to be important well high scoring it wasn't only 21 points from las vegas but more than enough again 21.17 points over new england the buccaneers should we be worried maybe we'll be able to tell after this weekend's action but the detroit lions are a good team this year so a 20 point to 6 victory is probably no surprise to many of us the rams are i've said this for a number of weeks sneaky good they seem to be under the radar but they've got great talent and are putting together some really good performances the cardinals were never going to be any match 26 points to nine for the rams and then the jets the other big shock of the week toppled the previously unbeaten eagles 20 points to 14 the bills didn't have to do much kind of the story of the week really isn't it to beat lesser opposition winning 14 points to nine over the new york giants and the Chargers against the cowboys was it spectacular no was it dramatic yes 
And I think this could be an important stepping stone. Dallas get off the schneid. 20 points to 17 to get another in the W column. So there was week six. We're going to break out our performances of the week in a moment. But before we do, remember the toughest quiz question in all of podcasting, gentlemen. No Google, all noodle. Last week, we talked about the NFL passing yards record for receivers. So the yards record for receiver, my question was, who had won it twice? This question follows a similar thing. I'm now going to the quarterback passing record. The record for the most NFL passing titles is six in a career. I want to know who that quarterback was, and it actually ties to our kind of unofficial theme of the pod. I think. Um, so who has the most NFL passing titles in NFL history with six? We'll give you all in listener land, as well as these two um, very distinguished gentlemen, the answer at the end of the pod. So with all of that done, um, it's now just time to recap our performance of the week. Aldrin, from everything we have just discussed, and it doesn't need to necessarily be a team, it could be a player, it could be an event. Who stood out for you in week six? I think the Dolphins game was the one for me. I mean, it's no great surprise. We've talked about them a lot this year. But I think whilst JB and I say we, we didn't have the opportunity to watch as many games this weekend as we often like, we were, however, together and keeping a tab on the NFL games that were going on, you know, surreptitiously. We weren't, you know, brazenly trying to watch things at a wedding. However... It's fine, there, was, there was periods of time where we were like just checking in on scores. So, yeah. you know, it's not like we were watching all the games or red zone like we normally would, but we'd check back in every now and then. And there was a point where JB and I were just looking at the scores and it was, you know, the Miami game was pretty close. I think the the scores were a bit of a surprise. You know, the Panthers, mm. I think, were 14 up or it was yeah. like 14-7 when we checked, maybe. Yeah, they went 14 nothing up. Yeah, feeling yeah. with a, a really good touchdown pass amongst them. Yeah. So I think we were kind of checking in at that point. And then, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, we checked in again and thought, oh, I wonder what the score is. And it was getting out of hand. Yeah. You know, the, the Panthers were still at 14. And the Dolphins, I think, at that point were up into the 30s somewhere. And we were like, oh, and I think JB actually said, well, that escalated quickly. And it really did, because yeah. re-watching that game, like you said, the, the Panthers came out strong pretty early. Thielen had a great touchdown. And I think, I mean, that guy's on to break his own, you know, regular season records and stuff. Yeah, the amount of, of catches and stuff that he's had. Um, but yeah, just the way that the Dolphins can put the hammer down and march down the field is just something else because it's those moments in games that really define good teams. I think, you know, when you have that little bit of adversity in a game and they had a bit of that, you know, they weren't looking great, the Dolphins at the, at the start of the game. And they were, I wouldn't say falling behind, but you know, when a team goes two scores up and you haven't really shown anything to, to even get yeah. towards field goals or anything like that, then you've got to be a little bit worried but to kind of overcome that, but not only overcome it, but just go, all right, switch on now. And they went to a different gear. And just the, I think the thing for me is there's three players on that team that can just change the game in an instant. And, but not only change the game, but you know, they can get 50, 60 yards in a pinch and it's Waddle, Hill and Moster. I think those three guys, when you watch them in motion, 
they are so fast and so tricky yeah and i think it was a combination of all three of those so you know those first two touchdowns that they got was Moster and wobble yeah. you know in an instant they're back in the game that's it it's 14 14 and then from there they just roll um so i think for me it's the way that they they've done it a few times this year where they just go to a different level and they put up 20 30 points in the blink of an eye um there's not many teams that can do that i think they're on for you know the most um that you know they lead the league in kind of passing yards and touchdowns and all that kind of stuff they are just a really dominant offense and um yeah i think for me that was you know the game but also that the moment in those games was those first two touchdowns because they were you know in such quick succession and then it just doesn't stop them that's it they, they never looked back and like you said for i think the second time this year the fourth quarter is just second string as a backup so i think yeah. mike white can't have imagined he would be getting as much game time as, as he is this year and i mean admittedly through a but you know like he could never have imagined being the backup at that team that he would get anywhere near the field let alone um be getting as much game time in relief of to a Tagovailoa, which i think again i say relief because it really will be a relief to both to a Tagovailoa and the dolphins fans and organization that compared to last year they're not putting as much on tour you know he's, he's not on the field as much and doesn't have to be and is not yeah. in the position where he's getting absolutely poleaxed every single game so i think the fact that he is remaining healthy not being um forced to play an unnecessary number of downs and taking an unnecessary number of hits will be a massive thing and you know we talk about we talked about as a recap the health of quarterbacks and um the importance of having good backups i think the the importance here for the Dolphins is keeping to a healthy and certainly blowing out teams in the first half of games such that you can rest him and your other key starters by the fourth quarter is um, going to yeah. do a heck of a lot for their Super Bowl aspirations. Yeah. And they are genuine Super Bowl aspirations. I mean, I agree with all your points. The only thing I suppose I'd add is that, you know, Mostert is a great running back. I mean, you're amazed looking back that the 49ers let him move on. He looks so good. I mean, he looks top tier. But a couple of weeks ago, it was A-Chain, right? And, and Mostert was, was certainly not just a complimentary yeah. player. There was, a, there was a proper one-two punch. But obviously, they've lost A-Chain to injury seemingly you know, they, they've not skipped a beat. They had games earlier in the season where they didn't have Waddle. And again, didn't skip a beat. The only player I would mention alongside Tua that they can't afford to lose is Hill. And the reason I think they can't afford to lose Tyreek Hill so specifically is what his speed does is it pulls defences in different directions. And whether he is the target or not, he opens up so many spaces in a way. I mean, it sounds unfair to say in a way that Waddle doesn't, in a way that no other NFL wide receiver does. I mean, he is an absolute unicorn in that regard. But I think the amount they are able to do because of Tyreek Hill and because every defence has to account for Hill on every single down that he is on the field, I think if they were to lose Hill... Or Tua, you you can imagine that looking a very different offense. But but you know what? I mean, again, even that sounds an unfair comment. I think you take the best wide receiver and the quarterback off any team in the NFL, and they probably yeah. don't look as as sharp. But I but I think 
I suppose the point I'm making is, as far as I'm concerned, for as long as those two guys are both upright, they're Super Bowl contenders. That that's the way I see 100%. it. Bill's game aside, you know, they are Super Bowl contenders. Without it them, so, it's different. But yeah, you know, it was great. so funny because I was watching the highlights and I literally said to myself, "How on earth do teams still leave Tyree Kill uncovered?" And then when I actually watched the play back on one, of, I mean, I think he ran sixty yards or something yeah. insane, like he normally does. But I was like, "How on earth have they left him uncovered?" And they didn't. No. There's two guys on him. No. Just you can't keep up with him. And they were, they, you know, they sat off him. They were five, ten yards back before he even started his route. And then in the blink of an eye, he's gone. He's a second of indecision is all he needs. And the other thing about him that makes him quite an oddity is he does so many crossing routes, whether they're shallow or so. It, so it's you give him five yards, you give him crikey ten yards on a, a long third down, for example, and he'll just cut and slice through the middle of the field. I mean, we haven't seen anyone like him. I mean, it, it's probably foolish to say we never will again, but I think we've looked at how people have changed positions. You know, when we look at, you know, what Tony Gonzalez did and turned tight ends into just bigger wide, you know, we've seen people who've evolved the game. And I wonder if Tyreek Tyreek Hill will inspire a, a generation of wide receivers who, you know, if they've got those attributes, can do the types of things he does. Um, but yeah, sorry, JB, here's... Um, Myself and Aldrin just waxing lyrical about the dolphins. Uh, I I am perfectly happy to let you to to voice my own opinions because it, it is you are right in terms of we are now looking at very much a player who is like generational in in terms yeah. of the output that he puts out there. It was it was questionable when he was a chief because there was how much of it is scheming, how much of it is the play of like Patrick Mahomes, also generational football talent. How much of it is, is the fact that defenses have to also account for like Travis Kelsey and things like that. You then put him on a dolphins team. And again, you can say, well, is it scheming? Is it, you know, they're having to account for other players and the, the counters that are going to be one, which player on the Dolphins wide receiver, which receiving threat are you accounting for more than Tyreek Hill? None of them. Yeah. Is it scheming and using him in the right ways? Well, yes, it could be. But one, it would be very, very unique for it always to be scheming when he's played on two different teams with very, very different plans on how they conduct offense. But like yeah. you said, Rob, and like kind of like Aldrin said, it's not necessarily what he, it doesn't matter what the scheme is or what the route is. He is just quicker and better, but it's also um, what I remember is there was a, there was a catch he made. I think it was a touchdown catch when he was a chief where Tyreek is a smaller wide receiver, but his, his jump, his leap is incredible as well, where you can put him in for those 50, 50 balls that you would see like, dominant wide receivers like Julio Jones or Megatron, Calvin Johnson, the kind of things they would go up for a win. He's still competitive with all of those. He is one of those people that on the field ticks every box that you would want from a receiver when nine times out of 10, you would pick, okay, well, he can do this, you know, these three out of the six or these four out of the six, but he's not so good at these two, whereas Hill is competitive in every single one of them. And it is a big reason why the Dolphins are successful. It's not the only reason, but it is absolutely, I think, the key to so much of what they're doing in the same way that we look at the success the Buffalo Bills have had. 
yes, a lot of that is kind of the reinvention of Josh Allen, but that reinvention paired up with the Bills going against Stefan Diggs, Diggs from yeah. the Vikings. You yeah. pair even an average wide, sorry, an average quarterback with an elite tier wide receiver, and you will get magic on it. Please see every season DeAndre Hopkins played in the in a Texans uniform. Please see every game that Andy Dalton had as a Bengal when he was paired up with AJ Green. It's that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the kind of difference maker you want isn't it i mean they're you know we talked about the guys who are paid the big bucks earlier when i said kickers aren't paid enough for me difference makers should earn money in whatever sport you know you look at association football you know but teams go out and pay the big money for strikers you know the people who ultimately given half a chance who can you know take a moment and do something with it and you know the very very best players do that and it's funny i mean if, if you were to say to me, who are the players who in any given moment you would absolutely rely on, however much a defense tries to scheme for them, you, you've just mentioned both of them. I think Tyreek Hill is one, and I actually think Travis Kelsey is the other. I think considering how much attention he has, safest hands, he, he is just a, another baller. But yeah exciting times for Miami. JB, I know you had a limited football exposure. Um, give us your standout performance of week six, please. Oh, what if I was to tell you that the Jets would play three of their first six games against quarterbacks who were top three in the last MVP voting, that Zach Wilson would start all three of those games. There would be a total of nine interceptions in those games and Zach Wilson would throw one of them. It, you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. Like even even um, former member of this podcast PB wouldn't bet money on that. And he he makes some questionable like anthem length related bets. Um, like like uh, this is in part coming I think from obviously again the limited experience we got. But kind of once we you know said our said our good nights and everything and retired for the evening, I managed to catch the end of Red Zone for the Patriots and the the Raiders specifically and the Jets and the Eagles. And one of the big things that I liked was what sort of being able to catch bits and pieces of it throughout the wedding and then sitting down to watch the game. It was never a game that the Jets felt out of. It never felt like it was something they couldn't win. But there was a there was a drive where they settled for the for the field goal where Zach Wilson took uh, like a 10, 15 yard sack that he didn't need to. He didn't get rid of the ball. You look on the you sort of look on the highlights and look on the game film, and it was a, a busted block. You know, someone didn't pick up there. A wide receiver went the wrong way on a route, and that's what led up to it. But it felt like one of those things was like, oh, this is where the Jets are going to suffer because these are the kind of mistakes you're going to get. Fast forward to like five minutes in game later, almost exactly the same thing happened. There is a free rusher, and this time, instead of going backwards and just not doing anything, Zach Wilson set his feet, stood in the pocket, threw for the completion to get the first down, still took a hit but you could see a progression already in the game of, okay, he has learned from that mistake. He has progressed onwards. And it's being the noted fan of underdogs that I am. It was nice to watch a quarterback show. I am not the, the pit of despair that everybody seems to think I am. I can competent. I can play this game. And, Yes, Zach Wilson may not be the quarterback, the franchise saviour quarterback that the Jets thought they were getting when they drafted him when they did. But 
backup quarterback, someone that you can call on for these kinds of things. Every team needs one of those. And if Zach Wilson can make his career like that, it was great. But overall, the game just felt like one of those games that like were like I have. I think at times felt like the only man on this podcast that stood up for uh, Robert Sala and felt he is the right coach for the Jets, and that absolutely felt like one of those games. Sitting at three and three now, better than you would have expected with Aaron Rodgers going out, and it was it was just nice. Like I like the Eagles. I think the Eagles are a very very good team and will be in contention for that Lombardi by the end of the season. But it was it was an interesting situation to just sit and watch the end of the game and just think this is not going how I expected it to go. Um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out the same with the Raiders and the Patriots. I think I think my takeaway was just underdog teams or unexpected victories coming through because it just didn't seem to be working for the Patriots either. There were play, and this was something I think Jim Nance called out on the broadcast itself. There were plays that the Patriots were pulling that you would see any other team pull and it would be a breakaway, like a breakaway run. There were a couple Ramondre Stevenson had. Any other team you've seen those go for 20, 30, 40 touchdown yards and Ramondre Stevenson was getting three or four yards on it. The Patriots looked like they were executing everything exactly the way they needed to do it and none of it was good enough and none of it added up. And again, you had a Raiders team that had lost Jimmy G again that's something we've always talked about but again just felt like one of those teams where everything was going to come back for them again and much like the the situation with zach wilson there was a i think it was a max crosby play that nullified a third down for the patriots that would have been a fourth down and a field goal to give them uh the thing that turned into the touchdown for them towards the end but that again was one of those things where kind of the camera saw Max Crosby as he was going off the field and you just looked at him and thought that is going to be important later. There is going to be a time at the end of this game where he is going to have a big play. And sure enough, he had the big play that sealed the victory for the Raiders in the end of it. So yeah, just, it's just really good weekend of football from the stuff that we saw from the scores, from the highlights is really good. My, my highlight football. Yeah, I mean, to talk a little bit around your points, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, firstly, the the Zach Wilson storyline that got really poisonous when when obviously he'd, he'd had his struggles. I mean, it compared me actually to, do you remember a few years ago, the Blake Bortles storyline when he was a jag and you had his own teammates coming out and defending him and, and an awful lot going on, but but there was kind of a clear disconnect that there wasn't a lot of belief in him you know, in the franchise. And, and this is a guy, what was he about five minutes away from, from beating Tom Brady in the AFC championship game, I think was probably yeah. a high watermark for him, but, but yeah, the Blake Bortles story seems the most comparable. The weird thing is with Zach Wilson is, and maybe this is a bit harsh and it, it's not like I've got every prediction, right. But the weird thing is what you've said, JB, that however well he plays, I still think a lot of people, are just seeing him as a guy they want to be a great backup while Aaron Rodgers heals. I don't think any team in the offseason goes, you know what, if the Jets are sticking with Aaron Rodgers, I wonder if we could trade for Zach Wilson. I don't think he's having those kind of games. I still feel he's been controlled and and the leash is on, but he's limiting those mistakes that were getting so much bad press before. So, yeah, and, and definitely good for the Jets. Um, Raiders and Patriots, I don't know. It's a bit like watching the Broncos and the Bears the other week. I'm I'm not sure I've necessarily been won over by either team, but you are right about Max Crosby. Absolutely epic 
best player in in black and silver at the moment. So, yeah, a real difference maker on the field in a game that didn't have too many of them. Um, Aldrin, anything from you before I whip into mine, which is nice and quick and neatly packed? No, not really. I mean, I think the Jets are uh, an interesting proposition. I, I really liked after the game um, all of the um, all of the players going over to Garrett Wilson. You know, because I think he had a phenomenal game. You know, I think we talk about mm. Zach Wilson and the way he's playing, but actually, I thought Garrett Wilson. You know, he must have been gutted. Like they all were, but you know, he's got an elite quarterback coming. He finally thinks, right, I can really show what I can do with a top tier quarterback finding me every game. And then to have Aaron Rodgers go down, and yeah, his performances are still absolutely stellar. Some of the catches he made at the weekend were just unreal. Um, so I, I was really impressed with him, but I do think you know, Zach Wilson. For all the bad press he got last year, I think he's corrected a bunch of those mistakes. You know, he's not making stupid mistakes this year. I think he's taking more accountability. You know, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but, yeah. you know, when he makes mistakes, he he knows it's him and he's not blaming others and getting his head down and things yeah, like that. You know, he just works on year. it, yeah. tries to go, oh, I made a mistake here. And, you know, I think we saw it at the weekend, you know, he made a silly play. And then in the same situation, a few, you know, a quarter or two later, same play, ran it to perfection, really neat, made the, you know, there's, I think he, he can only do what he can do, you know, that I think to be blunt, a lot of the damage to his reputation is already done. You know, there'll be a lot of people across the league that never think, right, he's a starter now forever. Yeah. But I think all he can do is work on himself, do what he can do, play nice, clean, efficient football. It doesn't have to be. I think the thing that frustrated people last year was that what he did didn't need to be flashy or crazy. He just needed to keep them in games because that defense is good enough to help them win games. Yeah. He just needed to not do stupid stuff. And I think if he does that this year, they'll be in a really good spot. So um, he can only do what he can do now and work on himself. Nice. And my takeaway from this week is going to be the very differing fortunes of well, the two teams heading into week six undefeated, the Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers. Um, here's why I think those situations are very, very, very different. If you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, they have a problem. If you look at the San Francisco 49ers, they made a mistake. So let me kind of yeah. work through that. The Philadelphia Eagles aren't good enough in the red zone. And you've only got to look at the points that Jake Elliott has put up this season to see that they're pretty good between the 220s. And then when they get down to the red zone, they just don't seem to have it, which is bizarre because they have an absolutely brilliant playbook for short game, you know, a run game that that works off a blocking line or even that famed quarterback sneak, you know, that, that famed push that they've got going on. Short yardage situations, they're built so well. And then in the red zone, the other thing they seem to have in their favor is a very mobile quarterback who, you know, has plenty of good receiving options. But for whatever reason, the Eagles haven't worked out the red zone yet. And in big games, that is going to be a problem. It's been a problem already. They've got through a few. The Commanders game is another one that springs to mind. They got through a few where it was it was becoming an issue. Um, this time they got caught out. The 49ers was a game that I was fortunate enough to be able to watch and, and get pretty into. 
and the 49ers game was very strange. So uh, the the story is that Brock Purdy has finally been found out because actually he's been carried by weapons. And as soon as those weapons weren't available and McCaffrey's out the game and Samuel's out the game, he starts to struggle. Well, well, that just isn't the story. For anyone who watched the game, that just doesn't fit. The basis of my argument is as follows. Debo Samuel hasn't done a lot all year. So if Debo Samuel hasn't had many catches, hasn't scored many touchdowns, hasn't got many yards under his belt, why would him being out be an issue and then the McCaffrey one I'll swing back round to so here's the mistake the 49ers made because Debo Samuel had not had many catches this season not many touchdowns not many yards and they're trying to spread it around in San Fran right there were a whole host of plays that I don't know for certain but I'm pretty sure were designed for Debo Samuel right? You had jet sweeps, you had a lot of um, open field routes that should get him in space and be able to have a lot of yards after the catch. After Debo Samuel went out, that game plan was still in place with Ray Ray McLeod, who actually is is not a dreadful receiver by any means. He's a great complementary offensive piece. He just doesn't have what Debo Samuel has. And then the problem was that when you've built a game plan around Samuel, ultimately, and then you lose McCaffrey, it just meant that you had too many square pegs in round holes. You had um, tough yards runners trying to fill in for McCaffrey. You had Ray Ray McLeod just not quite being able to do what Debo could do. And I think the lesson that Carl Shanahan learns is actually if you get too cute, this league has a really good kind of way of kicking you in the nuts and and really giving you a bit of a rude awakening. I think what Carl Shanahan has to do is forget spreading it around, utilize weapons in the way you can. And if Debo ends up with two catches for 35 yards, so be it. You need to build around a variety of weapons because even a team like the Cleveland Browns can find you coming unstuck. Now, The weird thing about my point and my conclusion is I think the defeat at the weekend makes the 49ers better. I don't think it does that for the Eagles. I think it probably just shines a light on what was already a problem that when you're winning football games can kind of go unnoticed. Um, Despite losing to the Cleveland Browns by two points, the 49ers are firmly still my Super Bowl favourites. Yeah, I I would really love to be able to come in and make a reasoned argument in opposition of your points, but I can't because I kind of I kind of agree with you. I think it is a stumbling point for the 49ers that you feel like they will evaluate and move forward on the Eagles. It does feel a little bit like, okay, now they've been found out. Now the problems that they're trying to solve are too great. How do they move forward from here? Um I, you know, I have every faith in in an offensive mind like Carl Shanahan to fix that and get them going. And while they might not, not be rivaling the Dolphins for amounts of points scored in a game this season, they will still get back on track for what they need to do. Whereas the Eagles, it does kind of feel like there's more problems in there than you can solve as quickly as they might need to solve them, especially when they're rolling into the Dolphins this week. Yeah. Um, potentially without Lane Johnson, which is a really big yeah, loss really for that team. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong, the Eagles are very good. They're still one of the best three or four teams in the NFC. I don't doubt it. But in big games, that is a fundamental flaw. 
you know, to not be able to turn three into seven is a problem against the very best. And yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, he, you know, I'd love them to solve it though. Maybe they will find a way. Still early this, doors, this but it's is the bigger it's worry. Like, I'm, I'm talking about this in comparison between the two of these teams. I, I also, like, I talked about it earlier. I still like the Eagles. I still think the Eagles will be in competition for the Lombardi. I just think they need to solve these problems quickly before it gets a little bit out of hand. They won't beat a 49ers team playing the way they're playing even a 49ers team that's losing to the Browns. Anyway, I've made my point. I think, I'm just hammering the same um, nail here, aren't I? Only thing for me is, you know, when you say, oh, Brock Purdy got found out, blah, 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 blah. And, and those are ridiculous storylines. Brock Purdy won them the game. Yeah, he kicker from, from in, 40 yards. In, you just need to make Put them kick. in field position to kick a field goal with four seconds left on the clock. That's what he's there to do. He yeah. did that. They win the game by a point and nobody thinks anything of it. So, yeah. you know, I think to your point... It probably makes them better because, yeah, throughout their game plan, they were a bit too cute and they weren't as, um, like we always say, take what they give you. Yeah. And there was plenty of that from the Browns, but they didn't do that. They they wanted to take what they wanted to take rather than what was given. And I think that was their mistake, like you said. But what Purdy puts the team in field goal position with four seconds left on the clock. That's his job done. The rest, the other guy's job is to kick the field goal. So, you know, to, to, to that kind of point, I don't really think that the 49ers look any less effective. I still, I think, if nothing else, Fred Warner is a guy I do not want to mess with and that just looks better and better every game. You know, that guy is just yeah a monster we... in every aspect of his play. Yeah, agreed. Focused a lot on offences, actually, haven't we, this pod? But yeah, yeah. well worth mentioning. But Fred Warner, takeaway, QB hits, pressures. I mean, the guy is just... A demon and they've got plenty of those guys on on defense as well so they'll be fine yeah eagles is a weird one like you say i don't get it i, I don't understand i don't understand that how a team that has dallas goddard and aj brown mm-hmm. two of the biggest strongest most powerful guys in one-on-one matchups aren't just throwing the ball up for those guys to make plays in the yeah. in the red zone i don't i don't see how it happens couple that with one of the fiercest run games from either a running back or or a QB. Or the quarterback. I, I yeah, just don't, I don't understand. And then yeah. again, couple that with Devonta Smith. Like if you want to get cute, have a guy that's got some of the best routes and best hands in the game. I don't, I just yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. But um, pieces are all there, aren't they? I think the the other. I mean, I, I don't want to dwell too much because um, you know probably in a couple of days' time I'm going to talk about the Eagles again. Oh, nice. Um, Cornerback problems is where they also have situations at the minute with big play slay and others being injured. Yeah. It's a worry because when you match up against good teams and you can't finish in the red zone and you've not got your, you know, your two starting cornerbacks, it's a problem. So um, that's the only thing for me with them. But yeah, red zone, I don't get. They've got some of the best weapons in football and I don't see how they aren't connecting. But it's sorted out. Interesting. So there you go. Um, for any NFL head coaches listening, um, I mean, I think we'd all be available to work as statisticians for the for the right kind of money. Um, but there you go. It's as simple as that. Put it right, people. Put it right. Um, and that brings us to the end of our recap show. Um, beautiful fashion. It really is just left beyond this gold standard level of podcasting you've all come to expect to deal with two pieces of AOB. So the first one of which is the toughest quiz question in all of podcasting. So having focused on wide receivers titles in recent weeks, this week's question was about the NFL 
passing title. The person to have won that most in the history of the NFL has won it six times. I just wanted to know who that quarterback was. I've given you a bit of a clue because it kind of chimes nicely with the unofficial theme of our pod. Who's that quarterback going to be? I'm going to go Aldrin first, only because you look most puzzled by the question. You look like a man with a lot the of things The thing that you today. just said made me doubt myself because I don't know what the theme is, so that doesn't help, does it? Oh, but oh. Um, the guy I was going to pick was Drew Brees. I think I talked about him the other week as well in one of the JB. Who are you going for? Are you I disappointed knew. to not be able to go for Drew Brees? Yes, I knew I should have tried to go first. Oh. Um, See, I don't know who you're going for. The same answer. The fact that we both know the NFL is not a problem. I I know, but I I feel Rob likes it when we disagree so that one of us can be right and one of us can be wrong. I think he likes the competitive element of the toughest quiz question in all the football podcasting. Um, I look forward to you going for Nick Foles then. Okay. (laughs) Um, Dan Marino. So it's not Dan Marino. It is not Drew Brees. But to give you a clue, and the unofficial theme of the show, Aldrin, to help you with that, is backup quarterbacks. Because although obviously this quarterback was a starter, he was actually one of the most famous backups ever. Aldrin? Oh, go on. Is it Vince Young? What do we do with this, JB? It's not Vince Young. Oh, not Vince Young. Steve Young. Jesus Christ. Steve Young, yeah. Steve Young is the correct answer. The famous backup to Joe Montana in Montana's final years in San Francisco. Steve Young is the answer. And the amazing thing about Steve Young is this is a guy who won a Super Bowl, who did it all. But every time I look at his stats, he must still be one of the most underrated players in NFL history because he was a baller. Absolute baller. So, yeah, I, I think you got it. We, we knew where you were going, Aldrin. I know who Vince I met. I, I, I forgot that Vince Young's also a quarterback. That didn't Vince really Young help. couldn't I, throw I his way out of a paper bag by the end. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, Steve Young in the 49ers. Um, and uh, I've got the book Best of Enemies uh, on my bookcase, which is basically the, yeah. the story of Steve Young and Joe Montana. And it is a fascinating rivalry. Kinship. It's just the most remarkable read. And two of, you know, the league's biggest names of that era if not ever so there you go anyway that was the toughest quiz question in all of podcasting jb um i hold up very little hope for this week because in a week of a lot of surprise results i don't think i plumbed for any of them but can you give us the runners and riders in this week's pick'em contest who picked the most winners and remember everyone in this land on our social channels you can play along too but jb i'm over to you so this is an interesting week this week because four players, three scores. Oh, so uh, okay. bringing bringing up the rear this week uh, is the unfortunate, uh, unfortunately, the winner of this week's uh, toughest quiz question on the football. Aldrin came in with a nine and six. Rob, you and I then tied at ten and five. Respectable show. That was better than I thought I'd done actually. Yeah. Um, but that obviously for uh, long term listeners of the podcast will be aware that the empty chair belonging to PB takes the victory again this week with a 12 and 3 record. I mean, 12 and 3 is very good, although I think we may have just stumbled upon. I think PB should now forever be known as the empty chair 
I think even it's one of those things where we've got to suggest that him leaving is is we now can't even refer to him by name. So R. the R. winner R. this the week Phil's is the social empty chair. engagements. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Phil is just so busy. Um, Pull one out for our homie. Nice. And so in terms of um, the standings for this season to date, JB, I don't need them. I know that it's week six and I've only won one, so it doesn't bode well for me, does it? Because of the previous tie in week two, we have an interesting total. Because obviously we have Rob Rose on one, Aldrin on one, PB on two, and myself on three. Now, of course, regular, you know, regular listeners of the podcast and those listeners that can add numbers together will work out that makes seven. Will that be relevant by the end of the end of the season? You're going to have to tune in every week to find out. I, I think our listeners are wise enough to know that you should never trust anybody who's responsible for counting up the scores who then themselves leads in any particular contest. I think yeah, anyone who does, it's, lead, it's, it's, no, exactly. You, do you know what? That is exactly the right reference, Aldrin. Whoever's the bank in Monopoly should not be trusted if they then go on to win the game. If, um, if it helps, oh, I am, I I am, <laughs> if it helps, I'm succeeding in, I'm succeeding in this endeavor. I am, however, still 0-6 in fantasy football. Still oh, you really? Yeah. It's, wow. it's it's not looking good, boys. No, it really isn't. Considering there aren't that many people in our league, and there are also a few people who are not making up the numbers. But I mean, they don't host an NFL podcast, do they? Let's be fair. Um, yeah, that is uh, stunning. I forgot to look whether I just about scraped over the line last week, but the answer is um, the answer is no. I just, so we'll just, I, we'll I just logged into the app three just three. to just to see how we did, and I lost by a hundred points this week. Yeah, it's yeah. not close. No, yeah, I'm no, not, not doing really. well either. Yeah, but the three, good news is it wasn't came to it end. wasn't to anybody that would hold it against me. It was only um, PB. Yeah. <sighs> well, on that bombshell, uh, we get to move on. But don't worry, in Listenland, on th- 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 Thursday, forty-eight hours time, gentlemen, we're back to do it all again with the flagship show where we put amazing teams into club dub. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, Boys look forward to getting back in 48 hours' time and doing it all again. Sounds good. Let's do it. This is amazing. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends.